might know you better, that we might study your truths and know them more. Lord, that we would have a right view of you, who we worship. Lord, help us to take into consideration these things as we set the foundations today for our summer series, all about worship, the worship of you. Lord, give me the right words. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So Sherry, I might have a slide in there that we just need to skip through really quick. We probably do. Um, There's none there? Okay. Yeah, skip through this one. This was my review at the beginning that I got in the wrong spot. There we go. All right. I told you I didn't know what you were going to get today. Um, as we look at these first four verses, the introduction, and we've already sang it this morning, but verses one through four, how great thou art. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment or a robe, in other translations, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. We see here the psalmist talks about the Lord. O Lord, my God. Only someone who is in a personal relationship with God will truly understand him as great and worthy of praise. Creation is on display for all to see, and he reveals himself to all on this earth. But only someone who knows him and is in a personal relationship with him will know him like the psalmist talks about him here. So verses one through four, again, how great thou art. We see this mention of a tent. He stretches out the heavens. You're, you're, you cover yourself with light as with a garment stretching out the heavens like a tent. I, I think about growing up, and, and my family went on vacation. Um, we went camping for vacation. Single-income family, three kids. Vac camping was pretty cheap. And you'd pull into um, the campsite, and you would see all kinds of different campers. You would see campers that just pulled up in their RV, and nothing wrong with that, but we were tent campers. And so we would um, set up our tent, and we, we camped quite a bit, and so we, we had it down pretty good, but you would watch the families who had no idea what they were doing, and usually the, the bigger the family, the bigger the tent, and the harder they are to set up, and it was pretty comical watching some of those, those families set up their tent. Um, not experienced at all, but then you watch the, the families like mine, and it wasn't always perfect, but you would watch them set up these massive tents, and they, you just, it, they'd go up like that. No effort it seemed like at all. And here, that's what I thought about with covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like the tent, the biggest tent that you can imagine, and it just happens like that because he is God. Everything with the Lord happens so effortlessly. Verses three through four, we see 
um, that he uses the force of nature, and they are at his fingertips. At his command, the winds and the seas obey. The psalmist continues, Sherry, I think we can go on now. I want to... I want you to ask this question of yourself right now because it really helps set the tone for the rest of these um, points. Do we marvel at his greatness like the psalmist here? Do we do that in our everyday life? Again, the, the psalmist continues in verses five through nine. We see that we worship the creator. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. We see in these verses and in, in the rest of these verses that we worship the Creator, but especially in these verses 5 through 9, that He spoke it into being. At His command, the waters went to where they are supposed to be, the sea and the river and the lakes, and that the mountains rose and the valleys sank down, all at His command. I, I think about in, in a a very small way, but it is a tangible way for me, and you probably have something that can, can come to mind here. But this past spring, I got to go um, to the um, Grand Canyon with the shotgun team while we were at Nationals, and I had never been before. And upon arriving and getting out of the bus and stepping towards the, the rim of the Grand Canyon, how small I felt in comparison and I just didn't have any words. I mean, I, I literally stood there in silence for probably five minutes or more. And then all I could say was, I can't believe this. And that he spoke it into being. It didn't happen just by chance. He is the creator. In verses 10 through 13, as the psalmist moves on, we see that we worship the sustainer. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. We see in these verses God's gentle care for his creation, how he provides for their most basic needs, water and shelter, and that he waters the earth, and boy, do we pray for rain now as we need it. But he is our sustainer. Moving on in verses 14 through 18, we see that we worship the provider, and I'll, I'll spend a little, a little bit more time here you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. 
verses 16 through 18 are kind of a, a, a recap of what we've already, got, already talked about is the Lord is our sustainer. So I won't spend very much time there just pointing that out now. But we see here that not only does he provide for our daily needs, he provides the food that we need, the grass grows for the livestock, and that we are able to then eat of the livestock, and that he has created the ground so that we can cultivate it. Many In a farming community, we know what that's like. But without him, that stuff wouldn't happen. The plants would not grow, and technology has come a long way, and we work hard. I know so many of you are hard workers in this room, but without him, those plants would not grow, and our livestock would die. So we see that he provides for our daily needs, but he also provides good things for us to enjoy. In 15, it talks about wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. These were all very common things in biblical times, and that God did not just give us the basics and say that's good enough and, and walk away. He gives us good things to enjoy here on earth, things that make life more enjoyable. We think uh, uh, immediately you probably had some things that came to mind. Mine, a couple of mine are ice cream and fishing and um, steak, those things that we enjoy. And we've all been created in his image and that he created us all differently. If you look around the room, none of us are alike. And in school or in work, going into the grocery store, some, some place in town or out of town, you look around and if you people watch, you see a lot of different things. And we are all so different and we all enjoy different things. Brian and Jill like to give me a little bit of a hard time in the office because I am not a sports person. And I don't really apologize for that. It's just who I am. Brian was trying to um, explain something to me about I can't even remember what it was, but he was using football terms. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a second. Are we the saxophones in the marching band that are up here, or are we the tubas that are at the end? Because that's how, I, how my mind works. We're all created different and all in his image. He's given us those good things for us to enjoy life. He doesn't just give us the basics, bread and water and shelter. We have wonderful things that we enjoy. I think of a father as loving to give good gifts to his children. Charlie had a birthday just a couple weeks ago and he got his first fishing pole. And I can remember getting to go fishing with my dad and my grandpa for the first time uh, after I got my Snoopy pole. Uh, I don't think they make Snoopy poles anymore. His is cars themed. But how excited he is to go fishing. And every day that I don't have to come to, to work here, he says, can we go to Vandalia Lake and go fishing? So the last um, two weekends, we have spent a short time fishing. But the Lord loves to give us those good things that we enjoy. Of course, we must not, um, or we must avoid all abuses of God's gift. It mentions wine, and so the first thing that comes to mind, we must avoid drunkenness. We must avoid gluttony. We must avoid addictions. Addictions not just to um, things that we put into our body, but addictions to um, activities. We must avoid those things because he's given us those good things to enjoy, but very quickly they can become bad things. If I went fishing all the time, 
and didn't spend time with my family or didn't go to work. I couldn't provide for my family like the Lord has designed it. So we must avoid all abuses of the good things that the Lord has given us. I also think that in, we see this picture that the Lord has not created a boring world. He didn't just give us the basics. We have so many good things to observe and to take in on this earth. He is our provider. We worship the provider. I'm going to get ahead of myself just a little bit, but it fits really well here. We think about how we enjoy all the good things that I've talked about, the good things that have come to your minds. And we know that the Lord's given us those things. But even in a sin-filled world, that is where we live. And how beautiful for us who have been born again to know that in the future, the curse of sin that we now live with, and we struggle with sin, and while we live in, in a creation that God has made, that the curse will be reversed, and we will live in perfection with our Lord, where all things are good. We won't be able to abuse any of the good things that the Lord has given us. It will be perfection, and I'll, I'll come back to that at, at the end. The psalmist continues now in verses 19 through 26. He made the moon to mark the season. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep out. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and the Leviathan, which you form to play in it. We see here that we worship the God of order in verses 19 through 26. The psalmist mentions some of the patterns that we see in creation as it pertains to day and night, man and beast, and that he has made it that way. Things don't just happen randomly. It, it, the Lord has caused the sun to give us light during the day, and it sets at night and the moon rises so that we might have rest for the next day's work. And that as we go home in the evenings, and I know it, it mentions, um, sorry, let me get where I'm at. It mentions the lions and the beasts. We don't necessarily have lions around here. But when we go home to the protection of our, our homes in the evening as the sun sets, that's when much of creation comes to life. And God has designed it that way. Not, it doesn't happen by chance, as we're told so often in our world. God has ordained it to be that way. God's wisdom is revealed in all the ways his creatures exist and dwell under his sovereign care. I thought in, in studying this week, verses 25 and 26, talking about the sea and the Leviathan, I thought, why, why does the psalmist include that here? And in studying um, 
talking about how the, the Jews viewed the sea, and it was a thing to, to fear. It was powerful. And it, it is to this day. You see, the, you see TV shows about fishermen that go out on the sea, and it is not an easy life, and it is dangerous. But we know that the Lord calms the sea with his voice. We see that in, in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus calms the waters. We know that he is in control, that he is a God of order. The mention of the Leviathan, though, I thought, why is that in there? And one commentator shares this thought, and I just was struck by it, so I wanted to include it for you this morning. Why did God create sea monsters? Just to play, to frolic in the ocean where no man can see, only God. The teeming oceans declare the glory of God and praise him a thousand miles from any human eye. I was just struck by that thought that we see, we don't, we don't know what's out in the ocean. We haven't been able to explore the depths of the ocean. Yes, we have, we have um, come to know of many great and, and weird things in the ocean, but that the Lord has, has made all of those things for one purpose, and that is to praise him, and that he sits on his throne, and that he enjoys it all, even the stuff that we don't know about. I also had that thought along the same lines as the, the small things that we pass by in everyday life. Um, thinking back to, to school and looking at things underneath a microscope that we don't see with the naked eye, but that was created to glorify the Lord as well just as the, the things in the sea that we don't know about. And he enjoys it all and takes pleasure in it. Verses 27 through 30, as the psalmist continues, we see that we worship the source of all life. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. The Lord didn't just create and then walk away. He is active. He is the source of all life in us and around us. We see that he, again, we've already talked about, but he provides for his creation he sustains us as we've already seen, but he is our source of life. Julie talked about, and we didn't even discuss this, but it fits so well, that the air that we breathe, God has designed our body to take in that air through our lungs. It doesn't happen by chance. He provides it, and when he takes it away, our life ends. But we see this beautiful picture in 30 when you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. This is a constant replenishing of the earth in a continuous cycle of creation. He is the source of life. He's the source of our life and all life around us. In closing, and again, I'm going to camp out here for a few minutes, in 31 and through 35, we see the psalmist's response and a rightful response to the one that we worship. 
May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. We see that he is worthy of our praise. We know in our hearts that his glory will endure forever. He looks upon his creation and sees that it is good. Verse 32, I see that in, 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 in studying this, that we should have a healthy fear of the one that we worship. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. You've probably heard this illustration and it's, it's so minuscule compared to what we're reading and who God is. But I think about my dad. And growing up, I had a healthy fear of my dad. Because I knew that if I disobeyed mom while he was away at work, that when he came home, it was going to be time to face the consequences of my action. And I knew that I was going to get spankings or my mouth washed out with soap or something along those lines. And I knew without a shadow of my doubt, my dad loved to give me good things and that he loved me and that he was in a very small way my provider. As a child, I didn't go out and work. No, no child does in, in our area like that. But I knew that he loved me, but I also had a healthy fear of him, like we should have of the one that we worship. While he is all these good things to us, he is all-powerful, and he should be feared. Verses 33 to the end we see these three points as you have before you. The three ways that the psalmist responds. Verse 33, that we should sing songs of praise to him. We are commanded in Scripture many places. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. We should lift up our voices. And I'm going to get on my soapbox just for a second since I am the music guy. It is such a beautiful thing when we lift up our voices as a congregation, not only to us and it is an encouragement to us, but it is such a beautiful offering to the Lord. I promise you, standing on this stage and listening to it, I don't hear one voice over another. I hear one voice collectively. And it doesn't matter, and I wrote about this if you read the newsletter a month or two ago, that whether you have a trained voice or an untrained voice or an old voice or a young voice or a shaky voice or a smooth voice or a quiet voice or a loud voice, we are all commanded to sing praises to him. And that's what the psalmist starts out with in his rightful response, songs of praise. We cannot stay silent as we reflect on who he is and what he has done for us, and what he is doing for us, because he is our sustainer. The second point that the psalmist brings out is meditation. 
According to the dictionary, meditation is to engage in contemplation or reflection. And we should do that in studying of God's Word and in book studies, and that is a good way to meditate on the things of the Lord. But as we think about our Creator and our Sustainer and our Provider, I want you to to think about this. Do we slow down enough in our daily lives to observe creation and marvel at our Creator? The things that we pass by each and every day and don't even give a second thought that He has made it. He knows everything about this world and it all worships Him. Do we allow that to lead us to worship of our Savior, our Creator? So meditation, again, is not only um, studying the Word. It is meditating on creation and what He has done. And then finally, we see that we should respond with gospel hope. Verse 35, as I read that the first time this week, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. I thought, why in the world has it just done a 180? We've talked about creation and and how great God is, how big he is. He cannot be put into a box. And then it ends with, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. This verse is not full of vengeance, as I originally thought for for just a, a short time, but rather the longing for the new creation. God will make all things new and sin will be no more. There will be no more death, no more sickness, no more pain, no more disappointment, no more brokenness, no more addictions. We will live in perfection. And we should look forward with that gospel hope of what is to come. That's who we worship. He has provided that for us and will bring it to fruition. We should respond in worship of Him. As we close, I'd like you to think about these few thoughts. And ponder these throughout the week, especially as we come back to hear Colton next week as we go further into what is worship, why we worship, who we worship, all of these things tied to worship. Do we grasp his value? Do we think about God like this as our creator, as our sustainer, our provider, the God of order? Things do not happen by chance. He has created it that way. Do we know him like this? Do we know him well enough to sing his praises? Is it an outpouring of our heart? Because we know the one who we worship, that we have that personal relationship with him? Do our lives reflect who we worship? Do we worship him as our creator? our sustainer, our provider, the source of all life? Or do we just worship him as the God in in, in our box, who we want him to be? We want to worship how, how we want to worship, our own preferences, not how he has called us to worship. Contemplate those things this week as you study and as you look forward to coming back next week for better preaching. I would invite the praise team to come back up and join me. And as we move into this time of 
reflection, you respond as the Spirit leads, whether that be through quiet prayer, submission, submission to His calling on your life. Perhaps you've listened today and you realize you don't know Him like that. And you feel the Spirit pressing upon you to make a commitment to Him. Maybe you just need to spend, again, in quiet prayer time of asking for forgiveness because we have viewed Him wrongly. And I know that I can fall into that at times as well. We all can. Maybe you just need to sing this closing hymn and worship who He is. He is worthy of our worship. Join me in prayer. Brother Mike will be up here if anyone needs to come and talk to him since I'll be on stage singing. Dear Heavenly Father, we come.